The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. A couple of things to briefly talk about. Um, we're looking at the Salvador Ramos situation and Ovaldi. I just, these school shootings, man. It's kind of a topic that hits close to home. It's one of the reasons I didn't want to be involved in the Crumbly case in any way whatsoever was because of Sandy Hook. You know, in Sandy Hook back in Jersey, school shootings were a big thing. And I got a good friend, Scott Zolber, may he rest in peace. And Scotty said to me, um, he had children, and he was always scared because he goes, you know, if a shooter wants to get in, there's nothing we're going to be able to do to protect it. We hope and we pray, but... You know, we just don't know how to stop these things if somebody really wants to hurt children. And when I look at Ethan Crumbly, and I look at the Salvador Ramos, I think of Columbine and Sandy Hook, and Columbine kind of started a series of tragic copycat events. There's so many things going on in these young people's head, and some of them just want to die a martyr. And... I do think mental health therapy in school has to become more of a priority. If we're seeing signs that a kid needs help, we gotta try and get him help before these things occur. I know people are making political statements on this. I hear a lot of big time liberals saying it's about gun control. I'm hearing a lot of Republicans say it's about responsibility. And you know, the reality is guys, I don't give a shit to stand on the political half circle. The one thing we know is we have to prevent this stuff from happening. And I see too many people using this as a political agenda right now. This is a time for the right-wingers and left-wingers to work together to protect the future of our country. That's where I'm at with it. You have a right to bear arms. You can't dispute that. You know, should you have arms in a school zone? That's a different topic. And to think that these tragedies just keep occurring when we're alerted what could happen is terrifying. Feel horrible for these children and the teachers that are giving up their lives to protect these kids. My God. They're true heroes. Um, yeah, I hear you, Josh. I'm pro Second Amendment too, but this does need to stop. And it's just not stopping right now, unfortunately. On another note, <laughs> speaking of Josh, before we get into the mock trial thing, is Brandon Hughes the dumbest individual you've ever met in your life? I don't know Brandon Hughes. I just read the Arcus Press and what did he say to Judge Stewart? Hang on. I want to make sure I get this right. Told Judge Matthew Stewart to f*** off. Bro. It's my judge. Are you really that much of a f***ing asshole? You're gonna tell one of the best judges in the country to f*** off during your proceeding? Talk about digging a hole for yourself. And by the way, Judge Stewart's a tough guy. Let me tell you, Mr. Badass Brandon Hughes. If you were in the street, you wouldn't have the balls to say that to Matthew Stewart. 
and the fact that you did that in court just shows what a moron you are. I would love to prosecute him just for the hell of it. He's a scumbag who's in prison. He's committed more crimes. I hope Scott Corner puts it up his fucking ass. You're a moron, dude. If any of your boys are watching it, quote me and share this live. You don't tell a circuit court judge to f*** off. That is our cathedral. And to say it to a man like Judge Stiller, you are just a f***ing ass. Seriously. Dig the hole, buddy. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. You ever one of those um, moments in time when it just felt like, it, I want to throw in the towel, you know? And it's those moments in time that really separate the men from the boys. Always believe that. And I can tell you, it's hard to believe it's been 10 years, but one of those moments in time was definitely Hurricane Sandy. And Hurricane Sandy, man such a moment in time, to say the least. I'm Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo and Grable Associates, and today we're doing some content for the jail visit. We're going to talk about revisiting Hurricane Sandy. Now, most of you guys know I'm from Jersey, and Hurricane Sandy smashed into South Jersey. It smashed a lot of places, but you know, we had a house in Ventnor, and I guess I'll get to that in a minute, but if you look up Hurricane Sandy, Wikipedia, I'm just going to read the beginning. Hurricane Sandy was the deadliest, most destructive, and strongest hurricane of the 2012 Atlantic hurricane season. The storm inflicted nearly $70 billion in damages and killed 223 people across eight countries. Okay. So, what's going on with me at this time in life? I am living in Lansing. I am tutoring. And I'm about to start a firm with Matt McManus. Going to leave and go to Ann Arbor. Now, we know that's going to take a couple of years to start making some money. I had put some money away for Aunt Mare, but the house was paid off. And the house, which was 613 North Dudley Avenue, that was interesting. Because we grew up in Ducktown, Atlantic City. We grew up on 109 North Willow Avenue in Atlantic City. Look that up. You'll see where I grew up. And it wasn't pleasant. When we moved to Dudley Avenue in Ventnor, it was like the promised land. Now, most of the people in Ventnor I can't stand. But Ventnor was the suburbs. You know, Ventnor was, at 19 years old, buying my family the house. Ventnor was the escape. And everything went into 613 North Dudley Avenue. And before I went off to law school, I paid off the house. So that Mary and Mom were good to go. That house was my baby. And we're hearing these rumors about Hurricane Sandy. Now, at this time in life... You know, I'm going to start this firm. I was tutoring for a couple of years. A lot of drama with Cooley, right? 
But I feel okay because the house is paid off. So I'm not worried about Aunt Mary making her mortgage. I got that covered. It's just taxes and stuff like that. We're hearing these rumors. And these rumors are there's going to be this brutal hurricane coming. That's going to hit Ventnor Heights when it's doing its twirl. Now, understand something. Hurricanes in South Jersey before Sandy were not really respected at all. I remember as a little kid, we had Hurricane Gloria. And Hurricane Gloria was supposed to be like this dramatic thing and nothing happened. There were other tropical storms. And I would say the culture in South Jersey at this time believed that Hurricane Sandy was going to be a joke. And Aunt Mare had this idea. The idea was she was going to stay in the house. She was not going to leave 613 North Dudley Avenue. Aunt Mare and the cats were going to tough it out. And I'll admit, um, I'm working a lot of hours. I'm not paying a lot of attention. So I'm on the phone with my aunt one night. May she rest in peace. Amazing woman, Mary Lee Mary. And Aunt Mare's bitching at me. Billy, I don't give a shit about this hurricane. Me and the cats are staying. We're not going anywhere. This is like a week or so before we're supposed to hit. So I start looking stuff up. I'm like, what the f***? Like, Aunt Mary, you gotta get out of there. You gotta get out of there now. Now, Aunt Mare is this tough old Italian woman. Aunt Mare was tough, man. Like, tougher than most gangbaggers I've ever met in my life. Tough woman. And this house was her baby. Okay? She took such pride in it. I got the house. She modeled the house. 613 North Dudley Avenue. That's Mary Lee Neary's house. Bill Amadeo may have paid for it, but it was Mary Lee Neary's house. Rest assured on that one. And um, she's not leaving her house. And I'm freaking out with my aunt. Hey, you got to get out of there. I'm calling her friends. She doesn't want to leave. If she would have stayed, she probably would have got killed. She didn't think the damage was going to be that bad. Well, two nights before Sandy hits, I get her the hell out of there. And, you know, we didn't really... We knew it was going to be bad from the research, but I didn't expect sandy to do what it did and i will tell you that hurricane sandy not only destroyed 613 north dudley avenue it broke aunt mare's heart because that was her baby so i'm just sitting there and i'm like she's staying with a friend and you're watching on tv right you're watching on tv like the Atlantic Boardwalk being destroyed where I grew up. And this natural disaster just took things out. And we have insurance. Thank God I paid the flood insurance and all that stuff. But everybody had a claim in. This is a natural disaster. And the homeless rate just went up through the roof. Aunt Mare says to me, Remember the day well. And you gotta remember something. I'm about to start this firm with Matt McManus. We had a plan. We knew the plan was gonna take some peaks and valleys, but we had a plan. I'm making okay money tutoring. 
was guaranteed money, but it was time for me to take my shot. And here comes Hurricane Sandy. And Aunt Mary says to me, Billy, I need an apartment. And they're not giving us the relief money right now. So at that time, um, I was living with my roommate, who was a complete ass. It's a long story. And Jewel and I just started dating, and I kind of moved in with her. And then I started splitting rent with her. But I was paying on the apartment. My ex-roommate was there because he wasn't going to pay the rent. And now I had to pay for Aunt Mare's apartment. And, I mean, at the time, I just needed guaranteed money. You know, and tutoring was it. So I figured this would go on for a little bit. We'd be okay, but we'd get the Hurricane Sandy money. And um, we got some money. And Aunt Mare, God love her, she hired this contractor. And when you got the Sandy money, you're supposed to pay the contractor. And she did. The contractor took the money, didn't do the work. We end up in litigation for years. Went on. And, um, for years, I had Aunt Mare in an apartment. And it broke Aunt Mare's heart that she was not living on 613 North Dudley Avenue. But 613 North Dudley Avenue was demolished, was destroyed. And you're sitting there with like this hopelessness. And I go home, um, I think it was like January of 13 or December of 12, something like that. I go home, and I'm staying in Aunt Mare's apartment, and I go look at 613 North Dudley Avenue. And it's like, got it. Hurricane Sandy did so much damage to that property. Not just our property, but so many other people's properties. And I looked at this house. This house that I worked so f***ing hard to get. This house that was like my first big accomplishment in this world, you could argue. And it's destroyed. And I'm just laughing. And I'm there with Jerry, may he rest in peace, Dally, and Scott Zauber. And they're like, what are you laughing at, B? Just like, f*** it. I can't win right now. Just can't f***ing win. Aunt Mare's heartbroken. She's not in the house. Contractor embezzled the money. We're in litigation. The key embezzled that money quick. It, litigation won for years. Was the house where mom died? It represented leaving the ghetto. There was a lot of mixed emotions about that house. And now Aunt Mary needs this apartment. I gotta pay for that. And it, life just wasn't great. And it's only 10 years ago. It's hard to believe. But there are moments in time that will set you back. There are moments in time that just, like, punch you in the face. I know in 2007, mom dying while I was in law school was something I never dealt with properly. You know, I came home, buried mom, made all the medical decisions, but I know emotionally I didn't process that. I just threw myself into work. 2009, lost a big lawsuit, almost went broke. 
Doctor screwed up my mom. Judge was on the take. That's a story for another time. Paid for an expert. Boom. 2010. I'm coming back to Jersey. Got this big time job. Father Solomon gets called on molestation stuff. I defended him. Pro bono. Lost a big time job. Now 2012. Here's Hurricane Sandy. And I... Gonna start this firm with McManus. We got this plan. I can't. I just gotta tutor my ass off right now. Or take like court appointment work, which I didn't know how to do that back then. I mean, it's hard to believe I wasn't doing criminal back then. And it was just responsibilities or what I thought was right was always at the forefront of stuff. And I think Sandy was kind of the breaking point for me. And, um,. I drove to Portland Avenue to look at the old rectory, which I believe... The rectory at St. James, where Father Sullivan told us or whatever, it was just getting... It was going to get knocked down. It was sold. And I thought about 613 North Dudley Avenue, and I thought about the rectory. And there was so much anger with the rectory, but the rectory wasn't affected at all by Hurricane Sandy. And 613 North Dudley Avenue was demolished. And it was kind of like... It's like an image, you know? Like, who was going to be standing at the end of the day? And I was just frustrated. Didn't know what to do. Didn't know where to turn. And the Aunt Mare is... Heartbroken. And I can't fix it. So, I got her her apartment, took care of the animals, I'm going back to Jersey as much as I can, I'm doing the tutoring in Michigan. It was, it was a brutal time period. And she always had such hope of moving back into her house. Aunt Mare wanted to die peacefully at 613 North Dudley Avenue, and unfortunately... She died in an apartment in Absecon in 2015. And, like, maybe a week or so before she passed away, um, she said to me, hey, listen, like, she could feel like she wasn't sick, but she had a way of knowing when the end was near. And she said to me, Billy, if I don't make it back into that house, you f and fight into the death, and you make sure you get our house back. Okay, Aunt Mare. Whatever. No big deal. Week later, um, she's gone. And such a battle ensued there, you know. Um, the contractor that stole the money played all sorts of games. They didn't just steal from us, they stole from other people. And there were times when... Uh, we were offered a smaller amount of money to just walk away from the project. There was a lot of weird shit going on there. And I fought that project until 2019. And in 2019, after countless litigation, with the help of Jerry Dowdy being my foot soldier in Jersey, 613 North Dudley Avenue was rebuilt. And it was sold. 
and we made a great deal of money on it, and it was a never-ending battle. And it was one of those things where I honestly don't know if I would have thrown in the towel, but I'm going to Amber Smith-Newton right now. Yeah, it is kind of where I get my stubbornness from, because Aunt Mare said to me, no matter what, make sure you get our house back. I don't care what it takes. I don't care how long it takes. You don't f***ing throw in the towel. They were her exact words. Like, okay. And, um, it was a brutal fight. It was surreal. You know? You lost it. You got it back. How long it took to get it back. And the bidders, I mean, I'm glad we made money on it. Don't get me wrong. The money was great. We invested it, flipped properties, blah, 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 whatever. But it wasn't about the financials. I wanted my aunt to go back to her house. And that didn't happen. So I was fueled by bitterness. I'm going to make as much money as I can because fuck you. I can't get my aunt back, but I am going to stick it up your ass. You know? And we did. It took forever. You know, I remember going into the house, right? And during this time with Hurricane Sandy, there was all sorts of looting. Um, people were just stealing stuff out of the homes. And I remember, like, I had my old Pete Rose baseball cards. One of the stories, one of the stories of how we bought that house was my baseball card collection. I had... I used to buy baseball, football, and basketball cards. Like, you were investing them and watching them up in value, and then we sold them for the down payment. That was the plan. But I always kept my Pete Rose cards, because Mom got me those cards. And that was a special moment. Mom and I had our issues. May she rest in peace. She had me real young. But one of the things that always brought us together was baseball. You know, she was a single mom who didn't know a baseball from a tennis racket, but she learned baseball and she tried to become, like, real knowledgeable in the game and be there. And her and Aunt Mary were like mom and dad. I mean, dad wasn't around for that. I, mean, I don't know where the hell he was. Nor... And thank God he wasn't in the picture. Don't get me wrong, kid. But I'm saying these women tried to learn baseball because they had a son who was a decent baseball player, had a love for this game. And they, these two women embraced themselves in the sport and the pete rose cards were special pete rose is my favorite player i wore number 14 my whole life and you know what if you like pete rose you don't like pete rose i don't care we're not going to argue about whether he should be in the hall of fame right now that's not the point of this because you know how i feel about pete rose i wish pete rose didn't live his life the way he played the game because the way pete rose played the game is the way you play baseball but the problem is when you live your life like that all the time, it leads to problems. And um, amazing player now. Role model as a baseball player. Maybe not as a man, but as a baseball player, as a role model. And I remember running up the stairs. And it's like you're jumping upstairs and certain stairs are destroyed. And I'm looking for my Pete Rose baseball cards. And motherfucker, they were gone. They were, you know, they were stolen. Like my mock trial trophies and all that stuff. Things that did not have a great deal of value to the outside world but meant something to me sentimentally were stolen because, hey, maybe you could sell this for a couple bucks on the street and buy some crack. The f***ing looters. 
And there were some bad looters, man. The looters in Hurricane Sandy were disgraceful. They would break into a house and take a picture out of a frame to go sell the frame. That's how bad the looting was. And one of the things that survived somehow was the CD. And it was a CD by Lucky Boy's Confusion. Came out in 2009, and I bought some old CDs um, when I went home for like a term break or whatever, and they were there. And here's this Lucky Boy's Confusion CD. And it was the Closing Argument CD. <laughs> Let me say this. I love Lucky Boy's Confusion. My favorite brand. They are such an amazing band. It always bothered me that LBC did not get the recognition of a Blink-182 or a Jimmy Eat World. They never got that notoriety. But they were an amazing band. They are an amazing band still. But Closing Arguments was their saddest CD. The CD is powerful. I mean, the music's great. But if you really listen to the lyrics of the songs, it's kind of, in my opinion, it's like Stubby, and I know Stubby and I are Facebook friends, and I think you're the best singer in the world, bro. But this particular album, as powerful as his vocals were, to me, they were saying, sending a message that we're never going to make it the way inferior bands are going to make it. We're just going to accept that. And there's this one song, I wrote an article about it once, called Leave a Light On. I'll post it later. But Leave a Light On, my God. It is powerful, but you could hear the pain in the music. It was like acceptance that we're not going to get what we deserve. It's just not going to happen. The whole album is powerful and sad. And I was so happy when Storm Chasers came out. Because even though Storm Chasers played a big role about Joe Sell, who passed away and was an amazing member of the band, and there was some sadness that there was also some powerful, powerful music that was somewhat upbeat. Closing arguments, man, that was, it represented such a low point for me. And I remember I'm listening to the CD and I'm walking on the beach and I'm just thinking, it's just not going to happen. Got a ton of financial aid debt, got to support Aunt Mare. I'm probably going to be tutoring my whole life. And I lost big job after big job, and this is just the way, these are the hands I was dealt. And that's what it felt like when I'm listening to Closing Arguments. And it was one of those albums where you couldn't put it down, you know? Such a great album, but so humbling. And um, I remember, I go back to Aunt Mary's apartment, and... I'm just sitting down in the living room, bought her dinner, pet the cats. That's had this sad look on my face of like hopelessness. And she comes up to me in the midst of Hurricane Sandy and she's grieving. 
and she says, Billy, I'm really sorry you're going through this. And I know things look bleak right now. She goes, but you got more heart and more balls than anybody I know. She goes, you're going to be big. And I'm probably not going to be here to see it. But your sacrifice will pay off one day. I said, thanks, Amir. I just watched ESPN. And at the time, the words were kind of hollow. Today, they mean a lot. Sometimes those powerful conversations with loved ones hit you ten years later, you know? But, um... It was... It was this unique situation. It did end up being a positive financial situation, but... So many times what I've learned in life when things have worked out financially for me, it's because I'm pissed off about something else. You hit evidence on a client, I'm going to make your life f***ing hell. Oh, and now I'm making big money on that. But it wasn't about the money. The money's like a secondary thing. You took my house away from Aunt Mare. I'm going to make sure that thing's built. We're going to get top dollar for it. Yeah, great. We made money. But it was because I was pissed off my aunt didn't get this. Or pissed off the client who I believe was innocent got screwed over. Money comes as a byproduct of what you're passionate about. I always believe if money is your main agenda on everything, you're going to get f***ed over. But if you keep pushing hard, money will come. But it can't be the top priority. It has to be a priority, but it can't be the top priority. And 613 North Dudley Avenue, the money that came from it, it was, um, you know, it was like spiking the football a little bit, but you're still pissed off how the game went. Josh Strickland has said, I need more and more content, and I am working a lot right now, for those of you who don't know. So I'm sorry if these Facebook Lives and the jail visits have been short later but i'm getting back to them because i promise you as many of you guys that asked me to do them they are like therapy for me and i appreciate that i really do and i'm really honored you guys want to hear these stories but uh hurricane sandy it's a tragedy for so many and i'm glad we were able to turn the tragedy into something positive but you know it took a lot of twists and turns so the jail visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. So let's talk about where it all started. Mock trial. Mm. Mock trial at Atlantic City High School. That was a big thing, man. It was one of those things where the elite academically came. They came together, and the Atlantic City High School mock trial team in the 90s won championship after championship, state titles, and they were known for just being a talented group. And they were a talented group. Look at some of the names on this team, and talented bunch. Um, I don't like a lot of them. But certainly a talented bunch. We'll get into all that. You know, in junior year, um, it was really a fascinating time period for me. 
because junior year set the tone for so many things. And Ducktown and Atlantic City was a war zone. And, you know, you guys that tune in all the time, you've heard me say before, Atlantic City High was segregated. Atlantic City and Brigantine to the left, Fenton and Margate to the right. I mean, that school was segregated. Segregated upon race, segregated upon social economics. And being a poor white kid in Atlantic City, you kind of had the worst of all worlds there. And by junior year, you know, you're kind of learning how to survive, you know. Um, you learned how to take different jitneys home. You learned how to walk home a different time, how to ride your bike home a different time. It wasn't really a happy time. And history class, Keith Gradziel. Mr. Gradziel, in my opinion, and let me say this very clear. Because you guys have heard me bash law school professors. You've heard me bash um, college professors. You've heard me bash high school teachers. Keith Gradziel is what a high school teacher should be. He was a role model. He was somebody who cared about the subject matter. He cared about helping his students get into college. Just a special man, to say the least. And I was lucky enough to have him junior year for history. And I was in Miss Weaver's class at first, and then there was some switching around. And I ended up in Grads' class. And, hey, Tyrone. And between Grads and Miss Scandia, I'll use a term I don't use often. I was really blessed to have those two people in my life. And grads pulled me to the side one day. We were having a discussion about something in history. I always found history class interesting. And I was arguing with somebody in class. Shocker. And grads said, hey, listen. I'm coaching the mock trial team with Dan Saul. <sighs> Dan Saul was a lawyer in Atlantic City. And he was a really good trainer of young litigators. And he goes, why don't you try out for the team? Now, understand, on the mock trial team, and I'll put this um, as PC as I can, it was mostly Margate kids and some Vetner kids. Very heavy Jewish contingent. It was mostly Jewish kids with money that were on this team. Um, their fathers and mothers were lawyers and doctors and people that came from extremely high socioeconomic status. I didn't fit in, obviously. You know, we were poor Italians from Ducktown. Um, it just didn't really make sense for me to try out for this team. And I was playing full league baseball. And, um... Yeah, my mindset was on baseball back then. And I know people say I wasn't that good. Some people tell you I was great. It's up for debate. But it's not a Facebook Live about my baseball abilities. Which, by the way, are either greatly overrated or underrated, depending upon who you talk to. The truth lies somewhere in the middle there about my baseball career. And I will tell you, before I hurt my shoulder, things were a little different. So for the people that talk about me in baseball... Yeah, you look at the stats before injury and after injury. But let me stop. I'm going to go on a tangent here. So Grads wants me to go for the mock trial team. And uh, 
I'm against it. And I said, yeah, okay, I'll think about it. And I went home, and I'm having dinner. And dinner at the Neary household was interesting. What would happen is, I would get my dinner, and I would go in the living room and watch TV. It wasn't really a family dinner atmosphere. But Aunt Mary would sit down and talk to me. And she said, so what's going on in school? And I'm like, oh, yeah, they want me to go out for the mock trial team, but I wouldn't make the team, and I don't even, I'm not interested in it. And my aunt's like, mock trial? Like, yeah. She goes, oh, my God, this is it. I'm like, okay. Because I've been praying for a way out, and I'm telling you, this is it. This mock trial, I just know it. Like, okay, Aunt Mayor, um, I, I want to practice baseball and do this and do that. I don't want to go out for a mock trial team. She's like, no. You are going out for the mock trial team. Um, so she wants me to go out for this mock trial team. And I'm like, I'm against it. First of all, I kind of view them as geeks, and they view me as a nobody. We don't really hit it off. And based on my GPA at the time, I don't think, based on the numbers, I would have made this team anyway. You know, I just don't think, you know, I'm not a mock trialer. And people are blowing up my phone right now. I will get back to you guys later, but um, I'm just going to roll with this. So, <laughs> some Atlantic City people are texting me right now. It's funny. Going back to junior year. Um, I go into journalism class the next morning. And Miss Scandia pulls me to the side. And she goes, Amadeo, you're going to that mock trial tryout. Like, what? I didn't even tell Miss Gandia. She goes, your aunt called me last night, and we want you doing this, so you're going to do it. Um, okay. And she, I walk out, and she, like, grabs me from the back. And she goes, you listen to me, boy. You're going to do it. You're going out for that team. I'm like, look, I don't Baseball. She goes, I'm tired of you in this baseball I'm telling you, you're supposed to do mock trial. I said, Gandhi, it's all the Jewish kids from Margate. They're all, their families are doctors and lawyers. I'm not going to make the team. I don't even know what's going on. I don't want to do it. She goes, we're counting on you to do this, so make sure you do it. So now Miss Gandia and Mom, I'm sorry, Aunt Mare, who was like Mom, was, yeah, Freud didn't slip there. Miss um, Gandia and Aunt Mare. Are demanding I go out for this mock trial team. Okay. I don't know. So, I mean, the two most powerful figures in my life at 15, 16 years old are telling me I have to do this, so I'm going to do it. I tell grads I'm going to do it. Okay. So, Aunt Mare tells me I'll get a haircut. I had hair back then, believe it or not get a haircut and she buys me like this preppy sweater and she's trying to make me look as margy as possible which was interesting and i showed up to the tryout and uh, i guess let's backtrack for a minute before the tryout i called father sullivan who was another mentor of mine and you know you guys have heard some stuff and i said to sully hey you want me to go out for a mock trial and he told me well, you'll never make that team. 
they're a really good team. You don't have the talent for that. Okay. So my aunt, I said to my aunt, well, Sully doesn't think I can make the team. I don't want to try out for the team. He would miss Candy or tell me. And she, first time she ever said F to a battle priest, she goes, F Father Sullivan. I'll go, F that drunken asshole says you're going out for that team. Okay. So I go out for the team. And there are some interesting people at the tryout. Got some names. Elliot Geller. Elliot Geller was the self-imposed star of the team. His father was a rabbi. Elliot couldn't stand me. It's so weird when I think back of Elliot Geller, and him and I are going to have a story a little bit later in this tale. Um, Elliot Geller looks so much like Eli Savitt. It's like they're brothers. Creepy. Mm. Take what you will for that one, but those two look alike. When I first saw uh, Ellie Savitt, I thought, holy sh**. It's like a younger version of Elliot Geller. We're not that far apart in age, but I swore it was like Elliot Geller grown up. I was having flashbacks to mock trial when I first met Ellie Savitt. Uh, ben Payloff. Ben Payloff was a brilliant guy. Ass but a brilliant guy. He had hair like a sideshow bob. He was one of those intellectuals. He would eventually go off to Harvard... He teaches at Univem, believe it or not. He's like a translator in Slavic. Brilliant, brilliant mind from Margate. Um, he didn't want me on the team. And he was like Elliot Geller's sidekick. Those two were really close. They were like this. Jessica Baker. She was dating Ben Payloff. She was a couple years older, actually. She was like a senior. He was a sophomore. Jessica's father was Judge Baker. Good man. But she came from a litigation family. Jeff Goldman was there. Jeff Goldman was a poorer kid from Brigantine. He's a lawyer today. Um, Jeff was actually quite brilliant. He was accepted by the Margate and Vetner kids because he was always in all the high classes. But he, it was different for him because he didn't have money. And mock trial was going to be one of the things that really set him apart. Or so we thought. We'll get to the tryouts later. Um, Robbie Middleton. Rob and I were never really friends. He was from Ventnor. Father was a doctor. I think Rob's doctor today. Smart kid. Lori Seropoulos. Lori, um, Greek girl from Margate. Very intelligent. In Elliot Geller's clue. Crew. She didn't want me on the team. Stephanie Pyatt was a friend of mine from Vetner. Her father was an attorney, I believe. Scott Neustadter, some of you guys may know him. He did 500 days a summer. Came from a great deal of wealth. Scott was okay. Eli Levin, talented kid, Jewish kid from Margate. Now, if we're looking at this group, I don't fit in. There's many more that tried out for the team. Mock trial tryouts at Atlantic City High School were a big thing. So I went in there, and they told you to prep a case. Kind of like did an improv. He did this like this interview. So I told him my views on the case. I made these notes, and I did this, and I did that. And I had like a couple series of cuts. So I made the first series, and they brought people in 
to basically like you were like on probation if you would it was really shocking that I even made it through the first series of cuts I didn't I was shocked and the Scandinavian Aunt Mare they're like watching it like it's um like it's reality TV so then the second series of cuts come and I'm expecting just to get cut from the team now there's a piece of me that kind of wanted to get cut because well now I'm free just to play baseball and be left the f alone but my name's on the list and I'm on the team and I uh I go home and I tell Aunt Mary well I made the team and she's crying and hugging me I knew you could do it okay call Sullivan I tell him hey Sully I made the team and he said I'm not thinking much of that mock trial team this year ha 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 Brendan and the next morning with Miss Gandia teary eyed she goes we knew you could do it now you're going to do big things with this team so we used to practice on Tuesdays and Thursday nights we were supposed to practice every day on our own and I was doing it at first and the way the story goes just a metaphor for life with me I'm doing it reluctantly but I'm doing it and I want to do something I want to do it so I'm going hard and I'm practicing I'm always the first one at practice I'm the last one to stay um and I'm just sitting there and I'm kind of sitting alone like I was friendly with Stephanie Pyatt um, Jeff Goldman didn't make the team and he was bitter at me about that and it was weird because he was much more intelligent than me and a lot of the kids in Margate were upset that Jeff didn't make the team and I did and I actually went to grads and they bitched about it we're going to be a better team with Jeff instead of Amadeo like, there was a mutiny to get me off the team now you understand something guys I don't want to be on this team to begin with and this group of people who I felt were the time now I understand they're just whatever they really don't want me on the squad and I keep going to practice because I know Aunt Mare and Miss Gandy want me there and one day um, Elliot Geller comes up to me and I mean I the only way to view Elliot Geller in my opinion was he was an ass and Elliot if you're watching this you were an ass in the early 90s and you know, I, I, you quote me on that. And I think we know how the story ends, bro. But, Geller comes up to me. Payloff is behind him and a few of the others. And Elliot says, we don't want you on this team. You're not one of us. You're going to hurt us. We're going for a state title. If you lose one tournament, you're out. We're not going to take a chance of you hurting our college opportunities. We want you off this team. Leave. And I'm kind of pissed. Because I'm being asked to lead a situation I don't want to be in in the first place. I'm going to be with them. I grab my bags. I tell her, you know what, go f*** yourself, Elliot. You want this guy to team, you take it. And I walk back down. And I had some of my gear in the Viking. The Viking was on the first floor. It was Miss Gandia's classroom. I had a key to work there as a journalist after hours. And um, I'm walking out pissed off, and Miss Candia 
This kid, he was always working late. And she goes, Amadeo, what are you doing? You have mock trial practice. I said, Gandhi, they don't want me there. I've had enough. They want me to quit this team. I'm done. She goes, no, no, no. You go back up there. You are not done. Like, no, nah, I don't want to be with them. They're talking shit about me. I'm going through hell to begin with in life. I just want off this team. Geller wants me off. And she grabs me by the neck and throws me up against the wall, which would be a CPS thing today, I'm sure, if anybody knew about it. And she's, like, choking me. <laughs> and you guys see Miss Gandia. She was a black woman whose name was Gandia that grew up in Virginia. This was a tough woman. She was a badass. And Gandhi says to me, Amadeo, your future's on the line right now. You're going to go up there and you're going to be the best one on that team. You're not quitting because some ass from Margate told you to f***ing quit. This is your future on the line. She goes, we are counting on you. You don't let anybody chase you off this. And I'm like, but I don't want to be there as I'm trying to gas for air. You may not want to be there today, but there's bigger things in mind. She goes, and it starts with this mock trial team. Now, you go up there, you have two choices. You go up there, and you be a man, or you don't come back to my classroom ever again. Well, now, like, oh, Miss Gandia, she's up here, okay? I had three mother figures. Aunt Mare, my mom, and Miss Gandy. And these three people, their opinion of things dictated so much. And I'm scared to let Miss Gandia down. I don't want to go deal with the Elliot Gowers of the world. And I'm looking at Gandy, and she's teary eyed but angry. She goes, Go take care of this now okay i walk back up the stairs i throw my bag down and i'm back now practice hadn't started yet i was there early and geller and his uh peeps they came in early to tell me to leave and um geller says i thought i told you to leave I said elliot go f yourself i'm not f leaving if the coach, if Gradziel or Mr. Soul tell me to leave, I will leave, but I'm not going to let you f***ing tell me anything. Go f*** yourself, get out of my face, dude. And Elliot was much bigger than me, but he had, like, this look of fear in his mind. Like, okay, he sold the crazy Bill day. He walked away and he was bitter. Geller goes up to Gradziel and Soul and says, hell, him and some other people want me off the team. They think I'm going to hurt the chances to do big things. I'm not one of them. And uh, Gradziel said to Elliot, I coach this team, you don't. So if you don't like it, you could leave. But he's not leaving. I can understand something. At this point in life, it was one thing for Gandhi to order me back upstairs, which was powerful was another thing for grads to see something in me um because grads was like he's not going anywhere and grads told geller who was better than me at that point 
Um, you could quit if you want, but he's not leaving. Grad sold something to me, and Dan Soul co-signed on that. And they said, look, this is the team we picked. This is our team. We have a chance to do great things, but no one participant's going to dictate who's going to be on this team. And having grads believe in me at 15, 16 years old was pretty f***ing powerful. I still talk to him today. Great man. And, um... So I'm there. And I'm practicing. And grad says to me, he lived in another direction, but he drove me home that night. He goes, Bill, let me drive you home. Let's talk. So I grab my gear, got my old headphones, which is a shocker, right? And I'm in the car with grads. And he says, you know, I know this is tough right now. I look at your neighborhood, look at where you're from. There's a pressure on you. You're this young kid. You've got something. There's something there. And you need to run with this. There's always going to be Elliot Gellers in the world. There's always going to be those people that have had education and money just there for them. You're always going to work two times as hard. You're going to appreciate it, though, when you get there. Because the journey is going to be tough. But I promise you, if you stick it out and you work like I know you can work, big things are going to happen. He goes, so go make it happen. Okay. I don't know. I mean, I'm a kid. I appreciate grads driving me home. Got out of my car. And I just looked at that brown cricket fence that's like separating our home from Pitney Village. Took a deep breath. And I just walked my dog. And something said to me, okay, maybe this is the way out. I don't know. Maybe. And there was like this surge of electricity. Like the mock trial became to me. Like I got like, we had a book, right? And I got like three copies of the books. And I was on the jitney all the time prepping and all my free time. And now part of me wants to be good to make Aunt Mary and Miss Gandia happy. Another part of me feels obligated because Grad is the coach. I want to play a role in him having a successful season. Another part of me is really viewed by you, Elliot and the crew. Watch how good I'm going to be at this. So there's anger. There's obligation. There's a chance. And Mock Trial just... Um, it changed my world. I never lost a tournament I was in. We went to States. Junior year. Senior year, we made it to like state finals. And I wasn't... What they would do is they would draw a plane of our defense. And I wasn't on that team that lost. Or that draw that time. But every time I was on plaintiff's team twice. When we were drawled, every tournament I ever played and I won. I think I'm one of the only undefeated ones. And... It became something where by senior year, I start to realize, because we didn't get along, me and the team. You know, there we were okay. We got to a point where it was like an acceptance there. I want to do my thing. I want to be the kid off to the side prepping. 
I'm not going to their proms. I'm not going to their parties. I wasn't invited to their things. But they wanted to keep winning. And they knew I could help them win. So it was like an acceptance on both ends. They're going to use me to advance. I'm going to use them for litigation experience. And I want grads to be have a great record as a coach. Grads was a coach who you would run through a fucking wall for. If you put broken glass down, I would run barefoot for grads. That's how much I cared about grads. Always be grateful to grads. He didn't have to stand by me. A lot of coaches in that situation would have looked at it. And, you know, obviously I exceeded the Elliott Gellers of the world, but at that time, he was more talented than me. And I think some coaches would have been like, you know, this is too much of a distraction. My star player, if you will, doesn't like this, and he's got the support of the team. Let's just get rid of Amadeo. Um, they don't want to be here anyway. Grads didn't do that. Grads said, I'm the coach. And as the coach, I'm going to make the decisions. And Bill is my guy. And you know what? It was Grads' first year at AC High. And the mock trial team was something early he was known for. If I went out there and I hit the bed... He would have like an idiot. He believed in this 16-year-old kid from the ghetto. He stuck to his guns. He told the star player to go to hell. I mean, if they all would have unified and said, we're not going to be on this team if Amadeo's here, it would have been the end of things. It took a special coach, it took a strong mind to believe in somebody he hadn't, he didn't know what was there. Miss Scandia was just an amazing person because she was my top cheerleader. She was forcing me. Um, so much love for Miss Scandia. When I gave the eulogy at her funeral, it was one of the most painful things I ever had to do. You don't find people like Dolores Scandia. You know, and my life's been tough. You know, it's. You grew up in the ghetto of Atlantic City, had to get your family out. I've had some real trials and tribulations, but I'll tell you, I've been really lucky when it comes to people that taught me life. Miss Gandia didn't have to take such an interest in me. Um, Keith Gradziel didn't have to believe in me. Jerry Dowdy didn't have to teach me so many things. I've been really lucky in the fact that I have found people, older people in this world that saw something and were willing to share. I'm grateful about that. You know, they've helped mold my personality and they've, while they're not here anymore, I know they're watching over me. And they were people that didn't owe me anything. The people who you think would have been obligated the priest, the father, this one and that one. They didn't really have time. In fact, they were actually kicking you down. But these other people that stepped up to the plate, there's nothing to gain by that. Brad saw a little bit of flair. Miss Gandia saw this lost kid. 
They all told me that I had a way out. Aunt Mare was Aunt Mare. The toughest women you've ever met in your life. Just a pure badass. And I will tell you, the gangbangers, the violence, all that shit. Letting Aunt Mare down, or letting Miscandia down, was more terrifying than walking home in a war zone. It just was. And I'm grateful about that. Because mock trial set the tone for so many things. I think if I didn't do mock trial junior year and what led to it, um, I wouldn't be here today. So I could never pay grads from Escandia back. And Aunt Mare, I owe Aunt Mare my life anyway. I'll just be real about that. But um, it was one of those things where I didn't want to be there. Uh, many people didn't want you there. And sometimes I just gotta say, F it, I'm here. Let's just do this. And that was mock trial tryouts and a little deeper on that. Alright, guys. Enjoy the weekend. It's the holiday. I will be in Ross Common and Cadillac, so the criminal litigation tour will continue. Josh, thanks for that comment there, bro. It means a lot coming from you. I think you're the best journalist in Michigan. And. Let's get on the same page with Judge Stewart and do that live. I know the community is looking for that. And uh, be an honor to do a live with you and Judge Stewart. All right, guys, have a great weekend. Bye. The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.